Gracious God, we're just so grateful that we get to join our hearts and our thoughts together tonight as we think about you and we think about this um, upcoming season where we do all the things that just um, focus our hearts and our minds on to you. So I pray now that you would fill this room with your spirit, that you would fill our hearts, and that you would be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was approached about speaking on this topic of Christmas, my first thought was, ugh. I, Christmas is, I'd say, Kelly, Annie, if you knew what what you, who you were asking to speak on this topic, you would ask somebody else. Honestly, I far too often struggle to wrap my mind about Christmas. In theory, it should be as simple as for us as believers, Jesus died to save us from our sins. Great, let's celebrate. Yet that simplicity has not always been my experience, and I wonder if it has not been yours as well. It seems like sometimes it can feel like nailing jello to a wall. There's so many things that it conjures up, these myriad of emotions that we're inevitably faced with. Things like confusion and conflict, potential disordered desires and disappointments, yet there's also a mixture of joy and delight. So tonight, I thought that we could look at a few different things that might help clear up some of the mess, reorient our hearts towards truth, and give shape and texture to some of our thoughts about Christmas. So let's look at confusion and conflict. In thinking about what could be causing some of my own unrest, I realized that over the years there has been many mixed messages about Christmas, and I'm sure you've experienced some too. Things like, Jesus received only three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Therefore, you should only give your kids three gifts, because any more than that is just too materialistic. We tried that. Some years, three was a stretch. Other years, we gave more. So is that bad? Christmas trees are pagan. They are. But wait, I like to decorate Christmas trees. Is that wrong? Jesus was not really born on December 25th. Okay, does that change the fact that he was born and that we should celebrate it? These are just some of the things that I have heard, and I'm sure that you have heard many more. No wonder celebrating Christmas can be confusing. Numerous voices clamoring for our attention. We feel guilty when we do, if we do certain things or like certain things, and we feel guilty if we don't do things or don't like certain things. So with that said, where does celebrating Christmas fit in? Let's just look at three of the reasons why some people decide actually not to celebrate. Number one, traditions surrounding Christmas have their roots in paganism. Searching for reliable information about this is difficult because much of the information regarding the origins of our traditions are not only obscure, but they contradict one another. In pagan worship, bells, candles, holly, and decorations are mentioned, but if we choose to use them in our home, does that mean that we are returning to pagan worship? In the Christmas tradition, bells are used to ring out the joyous news of our Savior's birth. Candles are lit to remind us that Christ is the light of the world. A star on the top of the tree reminds us of the star of Bethlehem. Gifts are exchanged as it reminds us of the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus, the greatest gift of God to mankind. So by using these different means, does it mean these different things, does it mean that we are worshiping them? Or does it mean that we are simply enjoying the sounds, the smells, and the beauty to create an atmosphere pleasing to think about Jesus' birth? 
Number two, Christmas trees are forbidden to be brought into the home and decorated. From what I understand, this is taken from Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16. Verses three to four sum it up like this. Their ways are futile. He's talking about Israel. Their ways are futile. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and they fasten it securely with hammer and nails so that it doesn't fall over. This passage is talking about cutting down trees in order to make them an idol to worship and to bow down to. We actually take it out of context when we use it to support the idea that decorating and using a tree for a part of Christmas celebration is forbidden. Number three, Jesus may not have been born on December 25th. Some people say that because we don't know when Jesus was born, that that's a reason we should not celebrate. On the other hand, some people say that the Bible's silence implies that it's okay to celebrate Christmas. I have heard it said that the world celebrates Christmas. Therefore, as Christians, we should avoid it. However, in doing so, I wonder if we're not missing out on an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. We are called to pay attention to the times in which we live. And by God's grace right now, we live for the most part in a time where we can publicly still speak about the reason we celebrate Christmas. Yes, the culture is squeezing it down to happy holidays, but we can easily encounter that, counter that with a Merry Christmas. The reality is that underneath all these types of questions is the truth that when it comes to Christmas, there's freedom. We are not commanded to celebrate Christmas, nor are we sinning when we do so. As believers, the two biblical mandates that we are called to keep are the Lord's Supper and baptism. Therefore, in celebrating Christmas, you have freedom. You have choices for choices before you. You can choose the traditions you, you want to formulate for your family or the traditions that you don't want to do, the things that you don't want to do. You get to choose. Before we delve into the joy and delight of celebrating Christmas, let's look at some of the confronting, some of the potential disordered desires and disappointments that we may face. We were fashioned to enjoy beauty. In order to do so, God gave us five senses, five basic senses, eyes to see, noses to smell, hands and feet to touch, mouths to taste, and ears to hear. It's through these amazing senses that he speaks to us. At the bidding of creation, Adam and Eve would have not only experienced the delight of a daily walk in the garden with the Lord, but they would have also experienced the delight of using their five senses. Prior to sin, these would have been perfectly dialed in to everything that surrounded them. We can imagine that they would have seen lush green trees and enjoyed sweet smelling flowers, felt rich soil under their feet, heard birds singing in the air, and tasted all the delicious fruit. Well, except for one. Though our senses have unfortunately been affected by the fall, we are still able to utilize these unique and sometimes overlooked gifts by our good God. With this in mind, at Christmas time, it's easy for us to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have an opportunity to see a beautiful decorated Christmas tree, to smell a pine tree, to smell a pine candle if you don't have the tree, to feel the heat from the logs placed on the fireplace, to taste warm, freshly baked cookies, or to listen to our favorite Christmas music. Unfortunately, what tends to happen is we like all the things our senses are experiencing and our desires can quickly morph into something, into something um, from enjoying a good thing to wanting even more. 
A good desire that was graciously given by God can quickly become something that is out of control. For example, there's the friend who not only makes a wide variety of these deliciously baked cookies or goods, but who nearly has all of her Christmas cards written, her presents purchased, and under, almost under the tree, beautifully wrapped on display. Instead of commending her hard work and her accomplishments, we inwardly most likely start to compare ourselves with what she has just accomplished. Jealousy or temptations to envy can be on high alert at this time of year. James 3.16 says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. Ouch. So what do we do with that? We take a step back, redirect our gaze, we look away from ourselves, and we look to God. The Holy Spirit is revealing that we are, at that moment, we can praise God for his kindness because the Holy Spirit is revealing that we are looking for some, some contentment and fulfillment elsewhere other than to our God. It's an opportunity for us to agree with him, to confess our sin and ask for forgiveness, for he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We can also pray, and it has an opportunity to pray that God would develop in us a maturing love for our friend and a grateful heart for the gifts that he has given to her. Another obstacle other than a desire disorders are sometimes potential disappointments. Potential at, at Christmas times that you, you can, there's a time that we can feel, this is a time we can feel a greater sense of loss. If Christmas is a time to celebrate, and celebrations typically involve a larger number of people, then we can summarize that celebrations are meant to be a shared experience. The shepherd shared the joy of hearing a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Yet, sharing a Christmas celebration is not always the case. A beloved family member or members are too far away to join you. They are unable or maybe they are unwilling to do so. Maybe it's facing the reality of an empty chair or an empty high chair due to a loved one who has recently passed away or one who has never had the opportunity to see the light of day. Perhaps for you, life has taken on a whole new unexpected direction and your traditions will never be the same again. In the midst of loss, your and my temptation at Christmas time may look differently. You may be tempted in one of three ways. One, you ignore your pain and stuff your feelings. After all, nobody really cares and doesn't want to hear your disappointments all over again. Two, you ignore celebrations and isolate because it's just too painful. Or three, you push through. You work and you do all the outward Christmas activities because that's just what you do. That works until it doesn't. What do we do with our pain at Christmas or really any other time? I would argue that we do almost the same thing as when we face a disordered desire. We don't circumvent our pain by doing what we might feel natural, by hiding, escaping, or stuffing. We do the supernatural. We choose to praise God. We remind ourselves that he hears our cries and that he blesses those who run to him for refuge. Nancy Guthrie says, our troubles are giving us an opportunity to live out the faith we claim. God intends to use the troubles at hand to develop in us a deeper, stronger, and more mature dependence on him. And that has the power to fill us with joy. Confusion, disordered desires, and disappointments have the potential to rob us 
but they don't have to. The Christian church at large for centuries has traditionally, traditionally celebrated Christmas, but unlike the world who is ignorant and still dead in their sins and trespasses, we truly have a reason to celebrate with joy and delight because we know the truth and his name is Jesus. That truth should inform how we celebrate and that truth is revealed in his name. Jesus has many names. We are going to focus on two, Emmanuel and Jesus. Um, both of these are found in Matthew 1, 8, and I forgot my Bible. Matthew 1, anybody have Matthew 1, 18 to 23 they would read? Perfect, thank you. Just to remind us. Thanks, Steph. 18 through 23. It keeps popping up. Thank you. I will. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So as the text said, it's Emmanuel, meaning God with us or God is with us. And just for some context, Isaiah was written when Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. King Ahaz, the southern king of Judah, was deeply afraid that the northern king would make an alliance with Syria and destroy the southern kingdom. It's at this point that Isaiah and his son that God sends, Isaiah and his son, to meet up with King Ahaz and to encourage his faith. To tell him, Isaiah was to tell him what God had commanded him. And he said, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. What they are doing shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. The Lord continues through Isaiah to tell Ahaz to ask for a sign, any sign at all. God is calling him to put his faith in the Lord himself, but Ahaz, he refuses. He would rather trust in man. In fact, he piously says, I will not put my Lord, the Lord to the test, but it's not a test. God told him to ask him. With his refusal, God brought judgment. In short, Judah would be attacked and overrun by the king of Assyria, of whom he was actually leaning on instead of God. And it's in the middle of all this that God says, he will give a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. This prophecy is a bit tricky. Was it meant for them? Or was it meant for a future generation? But potentially both. But it seems like most would agree that it is ultimately meant to be a spectacular sign. The title God with us anticipates mighty God applied to the Davidic Messiah. When Jesus arrives on the scene in Matthew, the author is telling us that this is God's appointed man. 
Emmanuel is a reminder that God is with us, but it's also a reminder that he is faithful to fulfill his promises. We are more familiar with the second name, Jesus. You shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this begs the question, what is sin that we need deliverance from? In Genesis 3, the scripture clearly reveals that our sin originated in the garden and Adam, with Adam and Eve. Not believing that God was good enough, wanting to be like him, they minimized his word and disobeyed him. There, was a de- death, there has been a death spiral ever since. Sin is our deepest problem as human beings. It is what has separated us from God. We are all guilty. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. According to God's righteous judgment, sin must be punished. Justice must be satisfied. We cannot, like King Ahaz in the prior story, save ourselves, nor can another created man save us. We need one who is truly human, truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, he must also be true God. As sinners, we could never pay for our own sin. We need help from the outside of ourselves. In the incarnation, we find that Jesus, the God-man, fully human, fully God, is the only one who could and did come to lead us back into the presence of Jesus, of God. And that is good news of great joy. Confusion and conflict may be in the background, maybe the background noise in the, midst, in the midst of the season, but they don't get the final say. Truth trumps all the noise. We can taste and see that God is good through the truth of the work of his incarnate son. When we celebrate Christmas, you and I glorify God as it reminds us that he sent his son to save us from our sins. It's a believer's joy and a delight to continue this celebration until one day when God fulfills another promise that his son will return. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you and thank you that you did send us the greatest gift of all. You knew that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and you rescued us. We did not come to you, but you came to us. And so we just praise you and thank you. And I ask that our hearts would be filled with joy, that you would help us when we tend to get preoccupied and our, our eyes start looking elsewhere. Would you help us to turn our face, turn our hearts back to you? And we just thank you for your gracious gift to us. In Jesus' name, amen.